Welcome to It's All Political on Fifth and Mission. I'm Joe Garofoli, the Chronicle senior political writer. My fellow citizens, America's comeback starts right now. The votes were still being counted for the 2022 midterms when Donald Trump announced that he's running for president again in 2024. And the reaction to that has been sleepy at best and hostile at worst. And that's from his fellow Republicans. Only one member of Congress attended Tuesday's announcement at Trump's Mar-a-Lago resort in Florida. Three of Trump's adult children, who are an active part of his political life, didn't attend. Ivanka Trump was a top White House advisor under her father. Now she says she no longer plans to be involved in politics. Here's a sign of how the world has changed since Trump left office two years ago. Even his longtime stenographers at Fox News seem a bit bored with him. The network cut away from Trump's speech about 40 minutes in to ask their panel to begin analyzing it before it was even over. The rambling one-hour, three-minute speech was long on critiques of what's wrong and short of specifics on how to fix things. The blood-soaked streets of our once great cities are cesspools of violent crimes, which are being watched all over the world as leadership of other countries explain that this is what America and democracy is really all about. How sad. And like a lot of what Trump says, the speech was riddled with factual errors. They said during the 2016 campaign that if he becomes president, there will never be a war within weeks. And we will have wars like you've never seen before. It will happen immediately. And yet, I've gone decades, decades without a war, the first president to do it for that long a period. He's gone decades, decades without a war. It's tough to go decades without a war when you're only president for four years. Plus, Trump was president when the U.S. continued to be involved in wars in Afghanistan, Syria, and Iraq. Now, Trump has a sub-zero chance of winning California if he even survives a Republican primary against Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and others who may challenge him for the GOP nomination. But he does have an effect on California politics. He hurts Republican candidates on the ballot here because he's so unpopular in California. And the Trump effect extends beyond politics. Trump's litany of racist, sexist, and homophobic remarks has many Californians worried about what his return to center stage will mean for the communities he's maligned. Trump's history of racist comments, like referring to COVID as the Kung Flu or the China virus, a phrase he mentioned in Tuesday's announcement speech, that stuff has daily implications for many Californians. Trump is the former leader of the free world. When he makes racist and sexist comments, that gives others permission to do the same. Here to discuss Trump's presidential campaign are Dustin Gardner, one of the Chronicle's Sacramento correspondents, and making her It's All Political on Fifth and Mission debut, the Chronicle's new Washington correspondent, Shira Stein. Shira, welcome to your, this is your debut on It's All Political on Fifth and Mission. I'm so excited. Thanks for having me on, Joe. I'm excited to be at the Chronicle to be working for my hometown paper from my new hometown, D.C. So uh, we all watched uh, Donald Trump's speech last night. It was uh, clocked in at a Fidel Castro-esque one hour and three minutes long. It was largely a a greatest hit speech uh, for those who have heard the the former president speak before. Uh, Dustin, give us give us a little flavor of the tone of the speech. Was it forward looking, backward looking, inspirational? Was there a reference to American carnage like there was in his inaugural address? Where was uh, Donald Trump going with this one? 
Yeah, I mean, it really was a throwback of the greatest hits. It sounded like a lot um, of his campaign speeches during the 2020 presidential election. There wasn't a ton new in terms of his rhetoric. You know, he talked about blood-soaked streets and crime-ridden democratic big cities. He talked about an invasion at the southern border. He talked about radical left-wing lunatics that are driving America into decline. And he kind of painted a very dystopian picture of the country and saying that America is is declining and that he wants to make it uh, a great empire again in, in so many words. So it was the, you know, the kind of hyperbole and, and rhetoric you come to expect from the former president. Um, and, you know, he, he made a couple of interesting new new um, claims. He said that he, he would make drug dealing punishable by death if he were elected. He said that he would end all early voting and only allow paper ballots on the day of an election. Um, so it, it, it was a lot of the same from from Trump. I actually covered the 2017 inauguration. I was there in person. I was already in D.C. at the time, and I just remember it being so shocking to everyone. I mean, nobody was expecting the typical inaugural address from him when he gave it. What was it? Five years ago now. But it just was so shocking. But now it's just it's so typical. It's what we're used to from this now former president. It was very much typical him, but it did seem slightly low energy. Um, a, a lot of the, you know, the observers that I listened to and, and read that a lot of people felt like he was kind of subdued for Trump. It wasn't the level of energy you get from his rallies. And it, it was kind of a different setting. He was in a gilded ballroom at his Mar-a-Lago country club, surrounded with a lot of former administration officials, not usually like his typical crowds at a rally. But in terms of his energy, you know, some people question if that might be because of the midterm because of the really you know disappointing results for Republicans or was he just trying to maybe project a little more balanced kind of calm energy um, so there's kind of debate about what he was trying to do with that tone yeah it was it was teleprompter Trump and uh, if this was a um, like a band concert this would be a, an industry crowd this was not uh, these were the people in suits and ties these weren't uh, this wasn't the, the the folks at a rally as you said and also uh, significant and who not who was not there, one member of Congress, I think. Somebody who's outgoing member of Congress. It was Representative Madison Cawthorn, and no other members of Congress made it. Representative Matt Gates of Florida said he was going to go, but said the weather prevented him from going. It was raining in D.C. last night, but I don't know that the weather was that bad. Maybe it was in Florida? <laughs> he saw some storm clouds somewhere. Dustin, what was the reaction to the speech, uh, both the uh, in California and uh, and East. Well, even before Trump took the stage, over an hour before he was supposed to speak, um, the California Republican Party put out a statement saying that it was not going to endorse anyone in, in the Republican primary for president, which was kind of an interesting take. I mean, the party often doesn't endorse in competitive primaries, um, but in this case, you know, you have the standard bearer for the party, the, you know, someone, the most recent president um, from the party and the state party sidestepping him out of the gate. So that that was an interesting take. And and that that sort of mood was continued in the reactions from a lot of state Republican officials. A lot of folks just really didn't even respond or weigh in. There were hardly any state legislators that weighed in, hardly any Republican members of Congress from California that weighed in. Um, and that seemed to kind of reflect a, a sort of hesitancy about him. Um, one example, Kevin Kiley, a state assembly member who is on track 
track to win a congressional seat in, in the Sacramento area in the Sierra foothills. He got a shout out from Trump during Trump's speech. Trump said that Kylie had just won his race and would give Republicans a majority in, in the House of Representatives. And Trump said he was glad that Kylie was the one to do that. And Kylie didn't even respond, um, hasn't responded on Twitter, did not respond to requests from, for comment from the Chronicle. Um, so really just kind of... Uh, sort of a stunning amount of silence from California Republicans. Sure. What does that tell you? What that reaction tells you? The the sort of muted, uh, muted at best uh, type of uh, reaction. Yeah. I mean, it's the former president of their party. So honestly, I was a little bit surprised at how few Republicans generally across the country have actually spoken up about this. I was speaking to somebody earlier today who basically said they're all sort of you know, sticking their finger in their mouth and stick it in the air to see which way the wind blows right now. Nobody wants to step out one way or the other. But even some of there were a few members of of Congress from California, Republicans who were really on board with Trump last time, even one who was against him. And none of them responded to repeated requests for comment. So nobody really wants to step out and either anger him or be on his side at this point. And at the same time, though, even though a lot of office holders and state party officials are are muted and silent on on his announcement, you do have a lot of party activists and loyalists who are still very strongly in his corner. I talked to a handful of them last night, and um, John Dennis, the chair of the San Francisco Republican Party, he said he's very much still a supporter of the president. He called him a -a once-in-a-generation politician. Another strong supporter is Orrin Heatley, who was an organizer of the recall uh, attempt against Governor Gavin Newsom. Heatley told me that that he feels the same way, that Trump is an iconic figure that is a rare sort of politician. And after Trump's speech, um, Heatley took to Twitter and said, I love Trump, FQ all, um, a reference to the QAnon conspiracy movement. Don't know exactly what he was trying to say there, um, but the the point <laughs> but the point stands. Yeah. I think the sheriff might, might have been late at night for the sheriff when he was I saw those tweets. I was a little little concerned. I wanted to send a perhaps a, a welfare knock <laughs> sure, to his yeah. house when I saw this. We'll have more of my conversation with Chronicle reporters Dustin Gardner and Shira Stein about Donald Trump's 2024 presidential campaign after a short break. We'll be right back. You can support the newsroom that creates Fifth Emission by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. And now let's get back to the Chronicle's Dustin Gardner and Shira Stein talking about Donald Trump's 2024 presidential campaign. Californians are clear about how they feel about Donald Trump. They never liked him from the get-go, and they really don't want him to run again. I think 71% of registered voters don't want him to run again, according to a Berkeley IGS poll. And Trump is the favorite presidential candidate of only 38% of California Republican voters with uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who's who's never been on the ballot here, and, and I, I wonder what his name recognition is, uh, is preferred by 27%. Why, why don't California Republicans want Trump to run? They're not all that enthusiastic. And, and, and why don't California office holders, uh, especially those House members uh, running in swing districts, want him here? I genuinely don't know. Republicans were they they accomplished so many things that they wanted to accomplish in Congress while Trump was president. They got record number of judges, justices on the Supreme Court, the things that Republicans typically say that they care about. 
largely Trump did sort of what they wanted. So I'm actually kind of surprised to see so few Republicans wanting to step out and support the former president as he runs for another time in office. Yeah. And I'd add to that that it is really is a mystery. One of the few Republicans we saw step out was state assembly member Suzette Valadares. Um, She represents a swing district down in the Santa Clarita area, and she's on track to narrowly win re-election there. She tweeted that she's seen this show before and she doesn't want to see a repeat or a replay of it. Um, She said the party needs someone new. She said she wants someone younger, someone who can show empathy, someone who's very different than Trump. Sure. What did the midterm elections tell us about where voters are nationally about Trump? Yeah. I mean, Trump was not successful in the midterms by the measure of all of the candidates that he was endorsing. Largely, most of them lost their races. It tells us that voters nationally do not want to see those same policies, those same ideals. I mean, those were in typically swing districts or close Senate races. I think it'll be really interesting to see You know, if he runs up against President Joe Biden and they have a round two between the two of them, I think it'd be really interesting to see what happens. I mean, last time President Trump did not win the popular vote. He won the Electoral College. And so what happened this time? Do you think this reaction to his speech might have been different if he had announced before the midterms, before we knew that all his favorite candidates, uh, your Dr. Oz's, uh, your Blake Masters uh, wouldn't have tanked? Would, would, would the reception have been a little warmer? I think the reception from the media would have been a little bit warmer because many in the media were predicting a red wave. You included. I did. I from the no. I was like, I'm skeptical. <laughs> I just don't know. Um, but I. <laughs> you had to rub it in, didn't you? I'm not sure the voters would have. I don't think it would have changed the midterms that much if President Trump had announced his re- his. Can we call it a re-election campaign? I feel so awkward because we have that extra term in between. What is this? Is he running? He's not running for re-election, though. It's confusing. Anyway. We're going to have to go to the style book (laughs) on that one. uh, We're going to have to, our styles are, so what do we call this? Yeah, it's it's just such an unusual situation. I mean, we haven't had something like this since, what was it, the 1800s? It's just so, so unusual, as, as everything is. Grover Cleveland time, I think we we're going to back to. It would be Trump part de or something Trump like part that. Part I like that. Um, no, we might not feel this as acutely in, in San Francisco, but in other parts of the Bay or in California. Trump on the ballot and the public uh, consciousness uh, front and center, uh, he enables racist and sexist language and, and he just sort of alters the atmosphere. Let's look at a couple of things he said recently. He's, he's been turning on his fellow Republicans with this stuff now, too. Just last week, he referred to uh, Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin, one of his potential 2024 rivals, as young kin and saying, quote, it sounds Chinese, doesn't it? Last month, he referred to his former Secretary of Transportation, Taiwan-born Elaine Chao, as the, quote, China-loving wife of Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell, and he called her Coco Chow. Uh, you know, whether Trump wins the uh, GOP nomination or not, what does his campaign mean for for all of us culturally? How does he shift the discourse and the and the conversation in the country and in California? I think the concern for a lot of 
underrepresented groups is that there's a trickle-down effect that we've seen over, over the last six-plus years and that that will continue. Um, I was speaking to a lot of members members of the, uh, the legislature's LGBT caucus this week. We have a record incoming class of um, out legislators in California. And for a lot of them, they said that the rhetoric around transgender people, around um, rights for LGBT young people in schools, they're concerned that that rhetoric will continue and there will continue to be that trickle-down effect. And, you know, this isn't just about um, people's feelings about the concerns that they have. We've seen with in FBI statistics that hate crimes have hit record levels in the last six or so years. Year after year, we've hit new records in a lot of categories. We've seen dramatic rise in anti-Semitism, uh, attacks on, on synagogues. Um, we've seen violence targeting people of color and LGBT people, um, record levels of murders tra- targeting transgender people. And so I think there is a lot of concern that that environment will continue if he's successful in this campaign. I think the other measure that you have to look at is what kind of laws are state houses passing or trying to pass? I mean, like you said, that some of this has a trickle down effect. And so if you look at if you look at just the anti-trans laws that we've seen across the country in the last few years, I covered a lot of the healthcare ones. I mean, it just a day or two ago, Texas was talking about jailing parents for giving gender affirming care to their children. It's just it is shocking. And I don't think we like we've always seen these kinds of issues. This is not the first time, but I think the speed and the rate at which we've seen a lot of these sorts of issues come across state houses in the country is just exponential because of what we saw during President Trump's term. A lot of Republican office holders don't want him on the ballot because Every day, uh, people like Dustin and I, and or, uh, when they, we see him here in California, ask him, hey, Trump said this today. What do you think about that? Are you with Trump on this? Are you with Trump on that? You know, if you're running in a swing district in California, you don't want to be pulled into the conservative swamp, if you will, with Trump when you're running in a, a swing district and have to try and get independent and Democratic voters. Before we go, we're pretty sure that Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is likely running against him in the Republican primary. Who else could uh, be in the uh, in the mosh pit with Trump? Trump's own former vice president, Mike Pence. I think we're all watching to see what that man decides to do this time around. He's got the book out, so you know he's <laughs> you know he's running. Just yeah, for our less like politically savvy <laughs> listeners, the second that a candidate puts out a new book, you have to keep an eye on what they're going to be doing next. Oh yeah, he's that's the that's the they're running yes, and depending on where California's primary is, we could have uh, you know if it's early in the process, we could have uh, the candidate actual live candidates coming to California during a the a Republican primary, depending on where it falls in the calendar. Stay tuned for that. Dustin Gardner, Chair Stein, thank you for being on. It's all political on Fifth and Mission. Thanks for having us. Thank you. I'd like to thank you all for listening and hope that you and your families are safe and healthy. I'd like to thank Dustin and Cher for being on the podcast today. You can follow their political coverage and mine at sfchronicle.com and on the Chronicle app. I'd like to thank the King, King Kaufman, for producing today's episode. And remember, no matter how many decades you've been president, it's all political on Fifth and Mission.